Okay, well, everybody, uh, we're here today with Eric Nicholson. He's SVP, uh, partner channel at Card Connect, which is part of the new Fiserv. Uh, hey, welcome to the podcast, Eric. Thanks. Appreciate uh, the opportunity. Uh, well, My first podcast, so I'm very excited. Oh, great. Well, this is our nice. first interview with anybody from Fiserv well, there slash go, right? First so we're Data. So, first. so we're all on first. So uh, who's on first? No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Eric, you know, one of the things we like to do when we uh, start out these podcasts is to sort of get the backstory on who we're talking to. And, uh, you know, it's always interesting the uh, how people get into this business. I don't think uh, we've ever met anybody who who set out in life to become uh, to be in, <laughs> in card services. Right. But, you know, uh, would you mind, uh, you know, giving us a little uh, synopsis of uh, of your of your career? How what brought you to Card Connect and sort of how what led up to that? Sure. Yeah, I know you guys kind of stole my story. I always tell people that, uh, you know, no one sits around in high school and dreams are like, you know what, I want to get into credit cards. Right. Nay, <laughs> uh, my but, dream, but, I uh, want to have a credit card. Do, you know? <laughs> right. But, uh, you know, a lot of us do, and we're, we're happy about it. And it's really, I think, the variety of the business that keeps us interested, right? We can deal with so many different kinds of businesses in so many different ways. And so how did I get into payments uh, 19 years ago? Uh, I answered an ad on monster.com for a job. I was transitioning careers. I was in the bike industry. They always say out of college, do what you love. Right. And, uh, I like bikes, but they didn't really pay the bills. So, uh, back then in 2000, there was this thing called the internet and the whole dot-com boom. Right. And, uh, I had a degree in history, so I couldn't code, but, uh, so, I, but I wanted to get into tech at some level. So there was an ad on monster.com with a super ISO out in Southern California called Card Service International, and they were looking for, you know, people to join their their team. And, uh-huh. and so I said, credit cards, I'm like, okay, I got one of those in my wallet. <laughs> Ecom, well, that's technology, that's great. And so, uh, you know, I, I started there, uh, smiling and dialing, selling internet referral partnerships to small, you know, web developers for this new thing called uh, e-commerce. Uh-uh. And wow. uh, it's been a journey uh, ever since. So um, you, you've 19 been in, years ago with yeah, e-commerce, so, that's, that was definitely right at the beginning there. That's really interesting. What were you, what kind of technology were you selling back then? Was it like a gateway? So we had a payment gate. Yeah. So we had our own payment gateway, which really, you know, back then card services is just at the time that uh, first data fully acquired uh, card service, which is kind of full circle now that I'm over here at card connect, right? right Another super right. ISO that first data now five service acquired, but yeah, we had our own payment gateway. We had our own online application self-service. And so we had two teams. One team went after, you know, uh, the Microsofts of the world. And then the team I was on, I was, it was going after the small guys. I was calling sure. the garage, the garage based, you know, web developer looking to, you know, capitalize technology and monetize payments, which now those people have all evolved and we call them ISVs. But, right. but way back then it was, Hey, you've got, you know, integrate into our gateway and, you know, I'll give you 50 bucks a deal or five basis points. That was our mm-hmm. offer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we were, uh, you know, trying to get a foothold in a, in a new evolving space. And at that time it was e-commerce and, wow. you know, cool. the fundamentals of that really hasn't changed, right? It's, no. it's no, not massively at all. bigger, right? Right. but it's really about people and technology bringing those things together. So. So, Eric, um, you know, obviously it's no secret that, you know, the payment space is changing really, really rapidly. And that's one of the main reasons we wanted to have you on is to talk about this, because as you said, you've been around for the last, you know, 20 years and seen these these changes. You know, the first question I really have for you today is, 
how do you really see these changes affecting the agents and the ISOs? Like, why should they care about this? Why is this so important? Why should they be staying up with these developments? Can you give us a little context for that? Sure. So I think the, the, the biggest thing that has changed other than how agents and ISOs monetize payments, and we can get into the whole sidebar of, you know, sure. leasing and residual income and downgrades and all of that, which is that's a story for another day. But fundamentally, you know, it's integration, right? And what's driving that integration is software and technology. Mm-hmm. Previously, you know, a, a payments expert was able to walk in and sell themselves and their service and drop a brick on the counter and that payment device was standalone, right. wasn't integrated, whether that was card present, card not present, or otherwise. Right. And, you know, we have had the benefit in payments, and I think that will continue, that there isn't necessarily a fundamentally disruptive technology that's coming in and ending the fact that someone's keying a credit card number into a payment gateway, using a token, a mobile app, or swipe, dip, or tapping their card. Right. That fundamental remains the same. But what it, what's changed is, is the integration aspect, whether that is into a software, whether that is from just the simplicity of self-service. So it's understanding how what we sell is integrated into that merchant's larger business. And I think that's, that's what we have to keep up with, and that's what makes the, you know, differentiates people selling in this space today. So, so let me just follow up with that, and I'm just wondering, I mean, in terms of of what the what the merchants are looking for, the business owners. I mean, what do you see in in terms of their changing expectations vis a vis payments? You know, what are they looking for today? That you know, especially you know, as, a, as I mean, from 19 years, you've obviously had a lot of experience in that. So, can you give us a sense of that? So, I think merchants are looking for simplicity. They're looking for integration. They're looking for differentiation. So, they get a lot of calls about. You know, it's more than savings, right? right. Uh, sure. We've seen, you know, we, you can always save someone a buck, but you know, uh, they always the old sales adage, you know, in the absence of value, the only thing that matters is price. So, what's the value that you bring to the table? And that is, whatever your, you know, I'm a big fan of vertical selling. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so are you? What is your specialization? Are you just a local restaurant expert? and you know every vendor and you know every system and you have local sales and service and you're really tight? Or are you a B2B focused person? Are you e-com related? Are you a Petro expert? Like what are you good at and be Mm -hmm. really good at that? So being able to bring more to the table than simply a better rate is what makes the difference to me. Uh, And so that could be outside of, you know, the software or solution that you bring to the table what else is there mm-hmm. that, that maybe right. you can bring, whether it's consultation, whether it's a friendly voice, whether it's, you know, local entrepreneur to local entrepreneur? Like, how do you how do you make that connection beyond, uh, you know, the fundamentals of what everyone can bring to the table? Sure. You know, one thing I want to dig into a little bit, Eric, that you brought up a second ago was about, you know, how agents and ISOs are monetizing, because that, that was a really interesting point you brought up. I mean, mm-hmm. Because of these changes with software, with ISVs, et cetera, what, what have you seen as far as that evolution and how do you see that continuing? You know, what, what do agents and ISOs, how are they making money differently today than they did, say, 10 years ago? And how do you see that change continuing? Good question. Sure. Well, the old, yeah, no, makes sense, right? So originally, I suppose, um, you know, it was an equipment game, right? You sure. were able right. to lease a piece of hardware. 
you paid an application fee just for the pleasure of submitting an application and the house made all of the the processing revenue right there's still an equipment game to be played uh, you know uh, leasing to me becomes less and less relevant uh, in the marketplace as we shift to either a pay-as-you-go program or a, something that is bundled together. Uh, you know, and so how can you bring those business services, whether that is a software that you're bringing, be it an integrated software like you know, you know, Cardpoint, Clover, or a third party that you're working with that, that leverages that larger business aspect, so how can you get stickier with that merchant from a retention perspective, mm -hmm. uh, you know, even though knowing that, you know, the margin may be half of what it was 10 years ago, but the fact that that merchant is probably larger and may stay with you longer allows you to, you know, or I guess allows us collectively, you know, to target a more upmarket merchant. And, you know, it's really interesting, Eric, because... I think everybody thought, you know, like six, seven years ago, it was like, okay, we're in a race to the bottom. So, you know, the margins are just going to continue to shrink and go down and down and down. But you know what's, I don't know if you would agree with this or not, but it's like, I almost feel like I'm seeing a trend that's maybe not the opposite of that, but it seems like a lot of the race to the bottom has, has stalled or maybe even stopped in a way because now it's not as much about the margin. So now it's like, I want this amazing point of sale system. I don't care if my flat rate, you know, gives me a slightly higher effective rate than my interchange plus or whatever. So are you seeing some trends like that or do you see it like it's just going to continue race to the bottom with the margins or are those margins going to stabilize now that there's more value that's in that equation? Uh, two things. One, I certainly have seen some flattening in terms of how margins are being decreased um, over the years. I think merchants, merchants, Merchants will pay for a service that they think there is value to it, right? Sure. So it's more than just – it's not like long-distance calling. Uh, I had explained to my daughter the other day <laughs> that you actually had to pay for a long-distance phone call. <laughs> right. And that my, when my wife was in college, she would call her mom, hang up the phone, and then her mom would call her back so she could have a conversation right. with her because she went out of school out of state. <laughs> like, I did the same thing. <laughs> yeah, we – yeah, we may be of the same vintage. Uh, some people in the room with me here aren't, but uh, we may be the same vintage to so remember those good old days. And so we don't pay for that anymore as consumers because right. there really right. isn't value. A phone call is a phone call, right? Right. right. Um, same thing for a merchant. So if you're bringing more to the table and, I, and, and I'm getting something from you, I'm happy to pay that whatever effective rate is of right. you know, sure. X percent because I'm getting something for it. Right. And that's why there's some of that stabilization. And if you're tying a system to it, uh, you're, you're almost invariably willing to pay more um, and uh, you will stay longer. And use that word system broadly, right. whether, mm -hmm. it's a, whether it's a technology or a service or, or hardware. Or a combination. Sure. Right, of course. Yes. Or all three. If you can do all three, all the better. Right, right, of course. So, Eric, let's let's uh, you know a lot of these ideas to me. It's so interesting, and I know a lot of our listeners right now are like, "Yes, you know, I agree with you, Eric. Things are changing. You know, I need to change with them." But let's really try to make it practical. So, let's talk first of all about the individual agents. So, we have a bunch of these independent individual agents who are listening right now. You know, they're either out in the field selling merchants door to door. They're calling them and scheduling appointments. They're doing online marketing to get leads. You know, whatever it is. Are there some practical steps that you would tell them, hey, in 2020, 
these are some things that you need to do to really prepare for these changes and make sure you're staying at pace with the industry? Sure. So outside of the fundamentals, right? Know yourself, know your market, know your offer and be true to yourself, right? Sell who you are. What are, you know, why are you able to win? Are you selling yourself? Are you selling a product, right? Those sure. fundamentals, why are they, why, why do people buy from you? Are you just, I don't know, the next shiny face walking in the door right. and you're just getting them out of a bad experience or actually bringing something new and different to the table? Like all those fundamentals aside, I think understanding the both the macro and the micro makes all of the difference. So what is going on in the larger world of technology and payments and business? And then how does that how does that impact or otherwise the impact the merchant, right? So do you have to be an expert at everything and at every vertical? No, but you have to be deep in whatever Right. your expertise is. And then that's right. not just the payments aspect, right. but everything about that business, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're, I don't know, you're a, you sell, you've, you've created a partnership with a, a software company that specializes in bike shops. You know, you, you better know bike shops cold. You better know what's going on with the manufacturers. You better know what's going on with sure. Chinese tariffs. So you can understand and connect and relate and provide value to that business owner that you're working with. That's really what differentiates taking, you know, what, if we look at what ISVs have done from a software perspective and monetize payments to connect how that merchant's business operates collectively, the same thing from a, a salesperson. I, obviously, they will rely on us to be payments experts, but we also need to be experts if we're vertically focused on all aspects of of, of, that of how that merchant works. Right. So Eric, it sounds like what you're saying, and I, I definitely agree with this because I've seen the same thing happen. It's you're saying that, you know, in the past, a big shift for the individual agent is that they were kind of the generalist, meaning I can sell any business on payment processing. And it sounds like what you're saying is that one strategy to be more competitive moving forward would be you're not selling to you know everything to everybody, but instead you're going, you know, this is my niche, this is the market, and then really learning everything about the technology end of it and the payments end of it to become kind of more of a, a vertical expert. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying? Absolutely, and I agree. And in the, in the old days, and we use this in like when we like, you know, internally and manage the business, you know, a merchant is a mer used to be a merchant is a merchant is a merchant. Right. Because how they interacted with us was the same. I walked in and gave them a terminal, and they, you know, they swiped and they batched and they, you know, what was the big things that we did different? Do you want your fees out every day at the end of the month? Do you want to buy the terminal? Do you want to lease it? But whether that was any kind of business, you know, they fundamentally interacted with it the same. Maybe it was a restaurant and they did tips. So that was like a big difference. Right. But otherwise, <laughs> right. whether, you know, it was just you were swiping the card and getting your money in a couple of days. Right. Uh, now it, that's just not the, you know, now I, I should say it, it doesn't, it, it, it's changed, but it also doesn't have to be that you can bring so much more to the table right. than just like, here's a terminal, here's a lease, here's a rate. I'll pick up my phone and you call. Um, so, you know, it, yeah. it's a lot deeper. Um, you can create a lot deeper connection. Uh, for those merchants that want it. And I will contrast this to a lot of the self-service type merchants that maybe just want to go online and DIY it. I won't use any 
names, but like if you want right. to go online and DIY and figure it out yourself, more power to you. That's yeah, great. Good luck. I'm not that, you know, <laughs> right. I, I'm a guy. I'm not that guy. Right. You know, I, I'm going to help you with your business. I'm going to bring this to the table. If you want to go figure it out yourself, that's, that's great. That's right. what they're for. So, okay, that, that's really cool, Eric. So what about the, you know, the ISO owner that has a team of agents? You know, what do you think they should be doing to adjust to this new payments reality, you know, new uh, marketplace reality? Yeah, I guess you just kind of take that one level up mm-hmm. if you're an individual rep or one level or two levels down if you're a, a card connect, right? So right. how do you – do? And, and how do you decide, do you like, do I build a platform and a team that goes after particular markets and I want to control my end outcome and I don't have 1099s and I have an employee driven mode and we go after relationships and partnerships and, and you have a very focused and controlled way to go to market or conversely, do you create a, a home for independent agents and partnerships for them to you know, kind of flock to you and you provide a layer of value and resources so they can go out and sell. And then you provide a tool set and a team and a platform to, to connect into, you know, the card connects of the world to do business. Like where's your, where's your value prop? And, 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 and at the same time, it has to be focused. So, so and whether that, whether that's a vertical focus or whether that is a kind of like service and support focused, um, you know, that's one of the two plays. Obviously, if you can do both, more power to you. Right, but, right. Um, you know. But what you're saying is it's differentiation. like. So what you're saying is it's like it's almost a, it can be sort of like an umbrella that brings in these agents with specific uh, verticals or it can be vertically oriented itself. Right. Are those the Absolutely. two options? So it's all yeah. the, I mean, the, yeah, the payments continuum or the dynamic is the same for everyone. Mm-hmm. It's just at what scale are you interacting with? Right, right. Are you one person out there writing three deals a month on your own? Mm-hmm. And you, you, know, you plug into a team in a platform and sell a product to win? Or are you moving up that scale? The fundamentals are the same, but it's just how can you expand that? So then you have marketing and support and service and, you know, solutions, but it's always about people because that's the fundamentals of any business. Mm -hmm. It's about the platform that you interact with and the products that you sell. So those three P's stay the same no matter where you're at. You know, Eric, I have one other question about this just to dig in a little bit deeper because uh, something I haven't seen happening as much as I thought I would in the industry is that, you know, if you look at our industry over the last, say, 10 years, you know, we've done a really good job of making partnerships like, say, banks, you know, bank referral partners. Hey, you know, we've got the distribution. We have the salespeople that can sell these business clients that bank with you. We'll give you a percentage of it, et cetera. What I haven't seen is I really haven't seen that as much with the ISVs, meaning I see the partnerships of we can provide processing for your customers, but I haven't seen as many of the ISOs going to the ISVs and saying, we can get you customers. Mm, And I'm just kind of curious, number one, your thought on that trend as far as like, is is that kind of an opportunity that maybe pairs with what you're describing right now? And number two, being at Card Connect, you're in an ideal position as a market leader to see that. Are you seeing things like that where ISOs are saying, let us leverage our distribution to help you? Because that's, it seems like all the ISVs want is distribution and all the ISOs want is good technology. So it seems like they should be getting together more. 
uh, and they should, and that's something I think that we're, you know, uniquely positioned to do because Absolutely. our ISV program operates on the same, same tech stack that our agent program operates on. Sure. Um, to go back to your earlier question about like banks, right? That's, it's disconnected. Like, Hey, you have customers, you have the same customers that want what I sell. So can I call on them and I'll give you a little override Right. or, you know, associations or all sure. of these things or buying groups and things like that. So it's like, we have something in common and, you know, let us all swim in the same pool and we'll, we'll share and win together. Right. Whereas ISVs are different in that they're actually, you know, they're operating on the same system. There's a technology aspect involved. There's an integration aspect involved. Um, and so if you are, you know, if you have the ability to scale your distribution and bring business to an ISV, um, in a way that is compelling to them, yeah. because mm-hmm. that that's a differentiator. They're like, I have a market, I have these businesses, they buy from me because I am their, you know, trusted solution advisor, right. then that that's meaningful right. to that ISV. Mm-hmm. Conversely, you know, that ISV, you know, will the agent then has also something compelling to, or agent ISO, MLS, whatever you want right. to call them, sure. has something compel, compelling to send to their next new merchant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. very interesting. Very interesting. So, all right. So I want to switch gears one more time because I have one other really interesting question. So, of course, we're all about, you know, we've all seen the the, the Fiserv uh, transaction and First Data and Card Connect and kind of this evolving brand. And I think, you know, as I talk to agents and ISOs and things, I mean, a lot of times that can kind of get lost in translation of, okay, mm-hmm. that was a that was a financial transaction so that shareholders could make more money, which, of course, is true to a certain extent. But what do you see from the inside as some of the competitive advantages that Fiserv is now bringing to the table? You know, what is Card Connect and Fiserv and First Data? What is this kind of evolving brand doing going into 2020 to enable the ISOs and agents to, you know, with these changes that are happening? What are some of the things that you feel are, are setting this organization apart and some steps forward that you see? You know, we have, you know, with the, with the new Fiserv, we have the scale uh, we have the scale and reach of really the, you know, I think it's been said and, you know, that we're now the world's largest fintech company, right? So we can go right. out and say that with confidence right. that we're really on both sides. We're issuing, acquiring and banking, whereas previously First Data was always, you know, issuing and acquiring. Right. We were, you know, and, and those two businesses were, were rather distinct. So now that's, 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 you know, unified under one brand, under one name going forward. What our differentiation is with Card Connect is really is our is our partner platform, and that's Copilot. So Copilot's integrated into the ISV platform, which is you know bold our merchant platform called Cardpoint, right? So all of those things are integrated together for you know you know kind of a, an omni-channel experience for the SMB. Right. You know we are still tied into. Clover and really the rest of the the first the legacy first data network. Right. So we try to create simplicity with our own kind of boutique uh, approach. You know, a company within a company. So I think that really differentiates us. You know, every time someone actually comes out to the offices, you know, the first thing we do is kind of give them a tour. And it's a we have kind of a we have our own brand, our own tool set. We have a, a consolidated or centralized service and support model. And, and that's what we're continuing forward to being part of this 
this new broader Fiserv. And so continuing that kind of integrated experience in a larger umbrella as, you know, one of the biggest companies in the world. So. Yeah. Wow. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah. So, cause I mean, and it is true too. It's hard to, it's hard to explain on a podcast, but if an, if an agent or ISO has never actually messed with Copilot or, I don't even know. Now the Copilot, that's the name for the, the merchant dashboard, right? What's the, isn't there a different one for the agent or is, am I getting the names mixed up? So yeah, CardPoint is our merchant is our merchant That's portal. Right. So it's a it's a combination of a, a merchant portal, it's reporting, it's right. a virtual terminal, there's a mobile application. So that's what where the merchant interacts with. And then Copilot is our partner portal. Right. Uh, that's where Online those are linked together. So if I'm a if I'm an agent or an ISO interacting in Copilot, I can link to CardPoint to see what basically what my merchants are doing. So those those two things are integrated together. Yeah, and it, it so really, really is. Cool. It, it really is slick, yeah, I have to very say. very slick. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. like it. So, all right, Eric, I'm sure a lot of our uh, listeners today are interested. They want to learn more about partnering with Card Connect and learn more about you. Where would you send them? Cardconnect.com backslash selling payments. Nice. Oh, so, that's an easy one yeah, to remember. Card, cardconnect.com backslash yeah. selling payments. All one word, all lowercase, right? There's actually a dash in there because we want to emphasize Got selling. It. Dash payments. It's actually cardconnect.com backslash selling dash, dash payments. payments. Got okay. It. Got awesome. it. Well, we'll, we'll put yeah. that in the show notes as well. So. As well, yeah, sure. Awesome. Eric, hey, right. thank you so thanks. much for your time today. I mean, that was uh, some really good information. Really appreciate it. Really, really appreciate it, Eric. Thanks so much. And have a great holiday. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For the past 36 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at greensheet.com. Okay, today I'm going to share some data that was uh, released by the Nielsen Report. Uh, Nielsen's been tracking both the issuing and acquiring side of the card business for decades. Sure. And uh, you know, I was really, I was really taken by the optimistic outlook this data uh, creates. Uh, you know, and it puts into context for me just how vibrant this industry is. You know, at the end of last year, at the end of 2018. There were nearly 7 billion credit debit and prepaid cards in the wallets of Americans. And that total is expected to top 8 billion by uh, 2023. Wow. Uh, which is, you know, huge. I mean, what is that? How many per, I mean, it's like three per per person. Person, yeah. <laughs> you know, and we know the kids don't have them, so. Right. <laughs> so spending uh, for goods and services using those U.S. issued cards totaled nearly 7.3 trillion in 2018, and it's projected to reach 10.1 trillion uh, by 2023. Wow. That works out to a five-year growth rate of 15% for cards in circulation. Goodness. Hmm. And a five-year gro growth rate of 30, almost 39% in the value of payments transacted using those cards. Wow. That's huge. That, that is, is huge. Really Goodness. huge. Yeah. Now, here are a few uh, some additional details on card spending that Nielsen uh, provided. Credit cards account for about 54% of dollars spent using all types of cards last year. Okay. Down just a little bit. It was 
2017. Right. Um, spending with credit cards uh, is expected to stay pretty much at the 54% level uh, through 2023. Uh, outstanding credit card debt was $1.124 trillion at the end of 2018, which tells you a lot of people are rolling over their balances. Sure. That uh, was an increase of about 5.8% over 2017. And uh, credit card outstandings are expected to grow to about $1.4 trillion by year-end 2023. Hmm. Uh, the average credit card ticket was $90.73 in 2018, which is up slightly from $89.88. So it's up almost a dollar over 2017. Sure. And in 2023, the average credit card ticket is expected to be 94.44. So uh, it's another mm -hmm. increase of about another four dollars. Right. Per right. And transaction. I would think that that's that sounds almost just pretty much like inflation there. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much in keeping with inflation. Mm -hmm. Here, here's another breakdown I thought was interesting in terms of anticipated spending in 2023. Uh, Visa cards will, will rack up the most with $5.1 followed by MasterCard, which will have about half that much, about $2.2, American Express, $1.1 and about a half a trillion dollars, $508 billion using um, all other credit card brands. Hmm. The remaining uh, $1.1 or so will be uh, pin debit and prepaid cards. Sure. So that's a lot of data to throw out there, but I think the, yeah, the bottom enough. line is, you know, there's a lot of opportunities, um, you know, for credit card payments and therefore for selling credit card services. Sure. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. It sounds like, uh, you know, if anybody's worried about our industry and where we're going, it sounds like we're just, uh, we just keep on climbing. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny because I talk to people sometimes and they ask me, well, you know, can this industry sustain itself? And I'm like, well, of course it can, because it's like people use their cards for everything from coffee to automobiles, right? Right, exactly. Um, yep. and, and it's a transaction-based business. I mean, transactions are going to keep occurring. People may spend a little bit less, but, you know, even if they cut back their spending 5%, it's still on par with last year. Exactly. Yep, yep, so, definitely. Wow, really good stuff, Patty. Thanks for sharing all that. Very interesting. Sure thing. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. So, Patty, I've been on this little kick here the last few weeks talking about marketing and marketing funnels and, you know, weaving that into the prospecting plan. Right. So today I want to talk about Facebook ads. Um, Excellent. 
Excellent. Yeah. So again, I'm kind of on this kick where it's like, I just want to give everybody, you know, rather than kind of, you know, big picture platitudes, I want to just tell everybody, this is what you can do. Cause I know it works. Um, sure. so here's what you want to do with Facebook ads. So again, you need to go back to like two episodes ago where I talked about creating a marketing funnel. So just again, super brief here, you have an ebook, you have a page where people download the ebook. From there, they go to a page where they can schedule a demo or schedule an appointment. And then you have a drip email campaign that tries to drive them back to that page to schedule an appointment. So that's a prerequisite to the video or to the uh, uh, conversation I had last week where I was talking about integrating that into your door to door. But now we're going to talk about kind of a pure marketing plan here without the door to door prospecting. So, of course, you could do the same thing I talked about last week with telemarketers. You know, they could call and get email addresses. But what if you're like, you know what, James, we just have money. And we just want to invest our money and we want to buy merchant accounts in a cost-effective manner. Well, you really need to be thinking about Facebook ads. And I've created some stuff that I've used with different clients that's been really effective. And I'm just going to tell you exactly what it is step-by-step. So... All you and I've to, seen some of your Facebook ads. They're really great. So Well, yeah, and that's even just for my business. You know, for your business, Pro. so I can imagine, you know. Yes. Uh, yeah, And I will ahead. tell you that trying to target people who sell credit card processing on Facebook is mm-hmm. significantly harder than trying to target people that have a business. There's a lot oh, more of people course. that have a business. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Anyway. Oh, yeah. The universe is huger. <laughs> that, that's not the right part. The universe is hugely greater. There you go. <laughs> got it. Yes, you got it. So... You know, the idea here is we just want to use Facebook to sell merchant accounts. Cool. Okay. Mm -hmm. Make the marketing funnel, right? Uh, Or pay somebody like our company. There's plenty of companies out there that can make a marketing funnel. So pay somebody to do it. So then once you have that marketing funnel, what you do is you go on Facebook and you're actually going to create two different ad campaigns. So the first ad campaign is going to be a video campaign. Now, This video serves a purpose that many of you have never heard of before. This is probably going to be a brand new concept for many of you. The video is only there to serve the purpose of narrowing the target audience. So this video is going to be very specific to business owners. It Mm -hmm. actually, it, it could have something to do with credit card processing for sure, but it really doesn't have to. It could be something about employee management. The idea here is, I, I want to make sure that only people who own a business would want to watch 30 seconds of this video or 15 seconds. In other words, if, I, if somebody doesn't own a business, they are not going to watch this video. So right off the bat, you know, and you don't have, this doesn't have to be like my videos that are face to camera. This could literally be, you could pay somebody on, you know, Upwork.com to create like an animated video for you. You help write the script. Um, but the idea would be that right off the bat, you literally want to ask the question that is, do you own a small business? Like that should be like the very first thing you say, you know, of course. do you sure. own a small business? Um, and then you want to make it helpful. We're not trying to sell them anything with this video. We're trying to provide a helpful tip where again, if this person owns a business, they're going to want to watch this 60 second video. If right. they do not own a business, they do not want to watch it, and they are going to immediately scroll past it with no interest whatsoever, okay? Sure, sure. Now, what you do is go to your geographic area and target people that have an interest in business, okay? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what you have to understand is Facebook creates these interest groups. This does not mean that on their profile they put that they're interested in business. It just means right. Facebook has determined by their web traffic, by their their you know web activity and the pages they like, et cetera, that this is a person that's interested in business. Now, 
Of course, the problem is that a person that's interested in business could be a business school student. Um, it could be somebody that owns a hot dog stand. Um, it could be uh, whatever. Who's thinking about starting a business. Exactly. It may not be your ideal prospect, but your ideal prospect is probably going to be in that larger group. You just need to identify them. So what you do is you now show that video and you do a campaign based on video views and say, I want to get the lowest cost video views for my video uh, to people that are interested in business. So for a very inexpensive rate, you can show this video to thousands of people. And then what you do is you then make a second campaign that is your download the free ebook campaign, right? This right. one is going to have, you know, just all, it's just going to be image ads. So it's really cool images of your ebook and things like that. So you can hire people that are really good. There's, there's certain ways you have to design an image. Otherwise, Facebook won't show it or they'll charge more to show it. You can only have so much text. So there's a few intricacies. But the idea is you have that campaign. What you do is you can create a custom audience in Facebook that says only show this ad to people that watched at least X amount of this video. Oh, okay. Okay. So the idea is we start with this really big, broad audience of people interested in business. We show them this video that has pictures of, you know, small business owners. And it says, are you a small business owner? If so, you need to know these three things about whatever, about employee management, something broad, but useful. And then they will watch that video because they're a business owner. So then you say, okay, now everybody that watched at least 15 seconds of this video, and you want to keep it short, 10 to 15 seconds, you know, a short amount. Otherwise you won't get enough scale. But you're like, all the people that watch 10 to 15 seconds of this video now show them the ad to download our free ebook. Mm. Now we're going to get a good conversion of people clicking that and going to the page. Yeah. We're getting the right. right people. They download the ebook. Of course, that then takes them into the, you know, schedule an appointment or a demo page and puts them into the email drip stuff. So there you go. That is how you can leverage Facebook uh, for a very affordable rate. You can leverage Facebook to find the right people and target them and then get them to take some kind of action that you can convert into leads for your sales team. Well, combined with the uh, funnel marketing, I mean, that, that really that really hones down your prospects and gives you a much better opportunity, it does. right? It does. And I'm always shocked that, I mean, the cost of this stuff, I mean, it's not, I think people get the wrong idea of how expensive this is. I mean, it's really not for these larger companies that, you know, you've got, you know, a, a good inside sales team or you've got, you know, 200 outside reps. I mean, this is the kind of thing where you could take the strategy I just gave you and mm -hmm. you could literally take your 50 reps that are all in you know, Florida, you know, Georgia, whatever, you know, you have your territory. Right. You could literally do what I just described to that entire area. You could spend maybe five to $15,000 over the course of six months. And, mm -hmm. you know, you could actually get a ton of really good leads. And then you could funnel those leads to the appropriate salesperson and actually have them go follow up face to face with people. And it's, uh, it's, it's going to be, I mean, to say it's going to be cheaper than telemarketing leads is like laughable. I mean, it's going to be like oh, yeah. pennies on the dollar compared to telemarketing leads. And ironically, these leads are going to be way better because they're actually people that are requesting on their own to have somebody come right. out, not, you know, not being suckered into it by a telemarketer trying to hit a number. Yeah, I would imagine the order's magnitude better. It is much, much better. But again, you know, it's funny. It's like it's a little more complicated. I mean, it's like there probably was a time when you didn't know how to set up a telemarketing operation. So you, mm -hmm. you figured it out. Well, now right. you need to figure out how to set up a Facebook operation, you know? Because um, let's face it, we are in a social media we environment. Are. We are. Or, again, 
hire people to know how to do it and have them do it for you. But you, you, you need, right? you need to do I mean, something. <laughs> I mean, so. I don't know about you, but I, you know, I still have a landline and, and, I, and it's, you know, registered to my business and half the time I don't answer it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know? but, you, but, so. you, but you were probably already on Facebook a couple times today. Oh, yes. Indeed. So, there you go. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thanks, everybody. There's your, there's your marketing tip for the day. Good luck, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.